Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Today's Rachel Maddow Show Award for Headline Excellence goes to Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, June 21, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 882 of the Biden-Harris administration, 503 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore go, spoutable, Bob Seska. Our Patreon page, of course, is BobSeskaShow.com. Okay, brand new Trek Politics podcast is out right now. Our conversation with the new captain of the Enterprise still blows my mind. The great Jerry Ryan, who plays Seven of Nine on both Picard and Voyager, joined us this week. Oh, my God. Plus, Mary Trump and I reviewed the latest episode of Strange New World. So if you're into Star Trek, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you dig what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review. You can also listen at trekpolitics.com. So the great Charles Johnson returns to the show today. I can't believe it's been a year since the last time Charles stopped by, but here we are. Today we're going to talk about the 10th anniversary of the Edward Snowden files and what it was like to be way out on a limb on that one, and whether Charles feels vindicated now that everyone sees what Snowden and Greenwald have become, right? Follow Charles on Twitter at green underscore footballs and, of course, at littlegreenfootballs.com. Link in the description. Meantime, think about supporting this fully independent podcast by subscribing to our Patreon page, BobSiskaShow.com. All right, so this is me and Charles Johnson. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Yeah, oh my God, it's been about a year. <laughs> the last time you were on was June 8, 2022. Wow, no shit. <laughs> yeah, somehow June rolls around. It's like, oh, I guess it's Charles Johnson time. <laughs> Man. <laughs> well, more importantly, <laughs> 10 years ago, right about now, you and I were ripping into the coverage of the Snowden files. Uh, and, and you know what? We were way out on a limb. We look back in hindsight, of course. Oh, yeah. And speaking for myself, I lost a ton of liberal followers at the time. But it turns out we were kind of right about Snowden and Greenwald, weren't we? Well, pretty much, uh, and yeah, I lost some some followers too. Uh, it was there was quite a bit of resistance to the idea that uh, Snowden may not be a perfectly uh, wonderful person. 
Yeah, and times were so different when it came to Glenn Greenwald as well. He was still a sacred cow on the left, and there was no criticizing him. And if you did, you were considered an apostate or something like that, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I had people, you know, directing a lot of hatred toward me because I was uh, uh, criticizing Glenn Greenwald. He was was like a, you know, like an untouchable (laughs) for the left at that point. I was so relieved, though, at the time to discover your coverage of it. It's how I got to know Tom Nichols and a a few other guys. Uh, Ed Bott and Kurt Eichenwald was writing a lot about it at the time. And it's true that we were kind of the teeny tiny minority on that. And Definitely. Yeah, I remember (laughs) the hate mail I got from the left was yeah. worse than anything I think I've ever received coming from Red Hats, Trump supporters, Republicans in general. And so on. I don't know if you got any of that too. Oh boy, I did did, did I ever. Wow. It yeah. was uh it was intense for a while. What do you remember most about the story, Charles? Was there one particular thing that struck you as particularly absurd looking back at that? Uh, for me it was that macbook smash up story i don't know if you remember that one yeah that was when the guardian uh, said that they uh were forced by the government to smash up their computers yeah <laughs> and uh and then they sh- they put pictures online of computers that were- had nothing to do with mac computers <laughs> right yes it was so dumb and then the story itself was buried deep inside some other op-ed that Alan Rusbridger had written about something separate. It was, in fact, I think it was a piece about uh, David Miranda, Glenn Greenwald's late husband. And yeah, so it was a piece about him being detained at Heathrow and questioned because he was carrying, um, what, like thumb drives with the Snowden files from Brazil to Germany, where Laura Poitras was, and he got stopped and searched. And so this guy, the editor-in-chief of The Guardian, wrote this op-ed, and like, I don't know, I guess the thing was, the rule was 12 paragraphs in, there it is. The GCHQ came in and told us to smash up our MacBooks that had the Snowden files on it right here in our newsroom. <laughs> and then they put the photos up, and it's clearly like a Dell PC from the mid-90s, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, uh, you know, that that thing of <clears throat> burying the lead 12 paragraphs in is is was a constant thing through through all of the Snowden stuff, especially with Greenwald. Yeah. He, he would he would write a long long article and full of overheated accusations and then in the 14th paragraph suddenly it says uh, oh but of course there was uh, nothing uh, unusual about this <laughs> right you know, it's just so ridiculous yeah and, oh and by the way there are warrants he kept saying you know you get really deep into the piece and it's like oh yeah there's all this intrusion into civil liberties and so on. And then suddenly we discover, oh, there's a panel of judges and they have to issue warrants before NSA can look at any of this metadata. And then you're like, okay, well then what's the story? Oh, you mean Glenn Greenwald has an agenda. I see. And that was kind of where I was coming from. Like finding the agenda in what they were passing off as hard news. And exactly. Yeah, and then we were all kind of crowdsourcing it on Twitter, picking apart the reporting and getting into things like that weird detail that Alan Rusbridger included in that op-ed. Yeah. Speaking of of people who were vicious, you know, about the criticism, uh, Glenn Greenwald was probably the worst. Yeah. I mean, this guy, 
it's amazing what he did. He he attacked me by trying to link me to, you know, the worst serial killer, one of the worst serial killers in history. You know, it was a completely false claim that he got from some weird far-right website that's been stalking me for more than a decade. <laughs> what know? was, wait, what was this? I don't, God, I don't remember that, Charles. Oh, that's when he tried to link me to uh, Anders Breivik, the... You know the Norwegian murderer oh, who killed right, all those okay. children. Gotcha. Yeah, he yeah. tried to claim that I was that I influenced Breivik, <laughs> oh, when in truth it was exactly the opposite. <laughs> and of course, that just, had nothing to do with what we were saying, right? He's no, just like no. trying to sidestep everything. Sure. And not only that, he did this from behind a block on Twitter. He had blocked me <laughs> years before, and then you know he suddenly unblocked me long enough to post this so that I would see it. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and then blocked me again. It's it's just a such a chicken shit way to behave. <laughs> yeah. You know the other thing I remember about this, Charles, about that period of time was there was this Greenwald defender who I still contend was actually a Greenwald sock puppet. I still believe it was Greenwald masquerading as this other person. But every oh, he time does that. Yeah, oh, of course. And every time you'd mention Glenn Greenwald, even if he blocked you, suddenly this person named Mona Holland would pop up in the oh, replies. Yeah. And it was like, it was uncanny. Every single time, if you just put Greenwald in there, she must have set up some sort of thing where she would get an alert every time someone mentioned Glenn Greenwald, and then she would pop in and defend Glenn Greenwald. It was Wow, I, had, I hadn't thought about her in a long time. That was, <laughs> that, yeah. that was a very weird uh, footnote to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And then <clears throat> that Luke Harding piece in The Guardian, oh, yeah. where he talked about how the book that he was writing about Snowden was being automatically deleted by the NSA oh, yeah. while he <laughs> that typed was it. That hilarious. That was so funny. That's It's so indicative of how fucked up that period of time was, how everyone was looking for a way into the sensationalism of that story. Everyone yeah. wanted a piece of that. And here's you and me and, and several other guys, and we're sitting there going, why can't anyone see this? I remember feeling yeah. so uh, gaslit, like, it's so obvious and clear what's happening. Why doesn't anyone else recognize it? It was the emperor's new clothes story, right? right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, why, why doesn't everyone see that he's naked? <laughs> right. That's exactly right. But, yeah. Uh, you know, it was really, um, it was an uncomfortable feeling for sure. I mean, yeah. I, you know, and part of the reason why I got into it was just because I've always been about kind of fact checking stuff and uh -huh. debunking false claims and i could see right from the start that something about this just didn't smell right and then the in involvement of russia yeah wow <laughs> i mean for me that was like you know uh i'm no tanky <laughs> so when i see russia get involved i know that there's something weird going on oh yeah yeah and that was like <clears throat> that was one of those things that now in hindsight you can't help but to stick that into the continuum of yeah. Putin's other attacks against Western democracies. And, Absolutely. And there's almost a year-by-year -year timeline for that, where you st if you start with Snowden, then the very next year it was the Sochi Olympics and the annexation of Crimea. The year mm -hmm. after that, they were hacking the DNC, and that was the Russian uh, military intelligence agency, the GRU, that hacked mm -hmm. the DNC, got all these emails, John Podesta, Hillary Clinton, uh, other Democrats. 
2016, they hit the disinformation campaign in support of Donald Trump. And then those emails that they had hacked in 2015 came out and on and on and on and on. It's all part of the same whole, I believe, to sow yeah. discord and division within Western democracies. And that what we're talking about here, Charles, the frustration that we felt was the beginning of that, was the beginning of that disinformation campaign with Edward Snowden as the useful idiot, Glenn Greenwald as the useful idiot in that endeavor, right? Yeah, that's the way it looks anyway. You know, I yeah. mean, we'll never know for sure. There's no way to prove any of this, obviously. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think that the timeline is pretty suggestive. Did you notice that almost no one directly involved with that reporting and that particular story bothered to commemorate the 10th anniversary of Snowden? I feel like I'm I the only noticed. one talking about it. <laughs> I had not Oh, yeah, that's right, that because they, they kind of blocked you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, of course we wouldn't notice, but I, I've been looking around, and I, I don't see a whole lot about that. I, I've seen some third-party pieces about Snowden 10 years later. But I don't see the regular Barton Gelman or Laura, Laura Poitras or any of those people making yeah. a big deal about it because I think some of the players involved have more or less been disgraced in the intervening years. Yeah, and it's also it's kind of hard to make him a hero anymore, you know. <laughs> yeah. When he when he defected to Russia, and then Russia, you know is basically committing genocide in Ukraine. Right. So, you know, it kind of kind of looks like a bad move on Snowden's part, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I certainly am not holding my breath for an apology. It's never going to no. happen. Never going to nope. happen, especially not with these characters. Well, now that Greenwald is a staple of Fox News Channel and Snowden is a citizen of Putin's Russia, he's just not he's not hiding there anymore. He's a citizen. Right. Putin gave him oh, citizenship. Yeah. It's amazing. So right. ultimately, now that we've gotten to this point where it's 10 years distant in the rearview mirror, do you feel vindicated at all? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, it would be nice to have some kind of acknowledgement from some of these people that they were, you know, way off base. But yeah. I guess that's never going to happen. I guess if we if we want to feel vindicated, we're just going to have to feel it for ourselves. And yeah, you know. yeah. Well, that's absolutely true. And speaking for myself, I, I kind of <clears throat> do. I, I feel like even though I may have gotten a few of the things wrong, like for example, I yeah. remember freaking out about the possibility of war between Australia and Indonesia because there, because Snowden has, had released documents, I believe, about right. the Australian intelligence services and spying on Indonesia. And then there were <clears throat> some warships uh, that were making some aggressive moves in the sea between those two nations, right? And, yeah. uh, and I was like, oh my God, Snowden's going to precipitate a war between Australia and Indonesia. <laughs> I remember Charlie Pierce going, oh, Seska, oh, come on. And so looking back, I, I probably went too far with that. But overall, in terms of the, the narrative that we were all developing in conjunction with each other, it, it, it is more or less is what we said it was. You know, they were kind of clever the way they used the, uh, the, the left's uh, tendency to believe the, the worst about the U.S., yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's part of – so they, they cleverly um, – they leveraged uh, that that whole uh, you know uh, confirmation bias mm -hmm. thing, yeah, and and 
it was, you know, it was well done. It, you know, if you want to look at it as a, as a, as a, as a, a covert move of some kind, mm. I think they did a good job. They, they succeeded. In hindsight, do you feel as though Snowden was just a useful idiot or was he, uh, was he intended to be a Russian operative from the start? Like, was that mm. his mission from the very beginning or did they just co-opt him? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I, I don't really have an opinion on that, but yeah. you know, cause I don't know enough about what happened to Snowden before that, but it, you know, I, I suspect that he was probably just a naive, dumb guy who had some libertarian ideas yeah, and had worked himself into a place where he, he had access to these secret things. And, you know, he, um, and the fact that he contacted Greenwald, mm -hmm. I mean, that to me, that's like a, a sign that he wanted to, you know, he wanted to leverage that confirmation bias. He knew that Greenwald would be the guy who would get it out there. Yeah, yeah. And, plus, and, would, and would put the worst possible spin on it. Plus, I think Snowden admired Glenn Greenwald and kind of wanted sure. to get his attention, kind of wanted to be in league with Greenwald. Because remember, people who <clears> have come up in politics in the intervening years, after all of that went down, maybe don't understand that Glenn Greenwald at the time, as I said before, was just the golden boy. I mean, he could do no wrong in the mind of in the minds of the left. And so mm -hmm. uh, to say now that, well, Glenn Greenwald was kind of up to something at the time, uh, people are like, well, yes, of course he was. But at, the t at that time, <laughs> it was like, no way, you're out of your mind. Glenn Greenwald is a good man and he's doing good yeah. things for the country. And uh, and that turned out to not be the case, of course. You know, and it, it's funny because, you know, when Greenwald started, he was very right wing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he started blogging, he used to he posted things against immigration, mm -hmm. basically racist stuff. You know, let's face it, it, he said a lot of racist things back then. Yeah. Far more than I did, even. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was identified with the right wing for a while too, but. But, you know, Greedwald went f much farther than I did. And then when he switched back over to the left, he, you know, all of that was just erased somehow. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I don't know how he did it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get away with that. You know, I I've, I faced a whole lot of resistance from the left when I decided to just make a break with the right. And, you know, so I, I'm a little jealous of him for that reason. You know, yeah. Somehow he he managed to do it. And, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I wonder if the blogosphere 1.0 saved Glenn Greenwald <laughs> in, as far as that transformation goes. Because what I remember from his writing at the time in the 2000s up into, you know, 2013, mm -hmm. that uh, he was pretty leftist the entire way through that. And I don't remember a time when he was actively blogging as someone who had more right-wing points of view. But I just kind of saw him as being uh, someone who was trying to ride the wave of something as a mm -hmm. someone who's kind of a chameleon. Like, okay, well, the, the traffic and attention is happening here on the left in the liberal blogosphere. They really got their act together here. Why don't I climb aboard that gravy train? 
Yeah, that's the way it was, yeah. really, I think. You know, and he, he actually, when he had his Blogspot blog, he used to write a whole lot. He was a fan of George W. Bush. He was, you know, he was um, against immigration. He he yeah. made a lot of statements about, uh, you know, an invasion from from the South and right. you know, all, that, all that usual right-wing stuff. I think it wasn't going over as well as he wanted it to. And when he switched and started to write more left-wing stuff, he got a lot more approval. You know, and the thing about Greenwald is he can write, you know, he knows oh, yeah. how to write. He yeah. writes well, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, sort of, if you like that style, which is very verbose, but <laughs> yeah, he, he's not, he's not a terrible writer and he knows how to put ideas across and that served him in his grifting. He was known as uh, Glenzilla at the time. Like right. that was his nickname because yeah. with his uh, blogs or eventually when he went over to Salon and then The Guardian, he would just get relentless. And it was great. It was entertaining. I remember reading his stuff and going, oh, my God. It's just like he's not giving them any wiggle room. There's no quarter happening for Republicans with Glenn Greenwald's writing. And, and then I started to see cracks in that facade, and I started to recognize what he was really up to. But yeah. th the thing, Charles, that I can't get over at this point is, given the level of anxiety and hysteria around NSA keeping uh, metadata <laughs> in its mm -hmm. servers and uh, having some cooperation from some of the tech companies in that endeavor— Oh my God, how things have changed given that the most popular social media platform now, or one of the most popular social media platforms, TikTok, is doing far worse. Tracking is totally out of control now. I mean, what do you make of that as far as the journey that that's taken from, oh my God, I can't believe the government has my to and from for every phone call that I've made versus now where <laughs> TikTok is probably collecting far more detailed information on its users. Yeah, I think I think we're seeing the faddish nature of of the news media, you know, the thing the yeah. way they seize on a on a certain hot button issue and will just keep hammering away at it. Yeah. And make it more and more of a thing until people think that it just sort of arose out of nowhere, you mm -hmm. know, and and then the media takes no responsibility at all for it, you yeah. know. It's always people feel this way about something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, it, you know, ignoring the fact that they're promoting it. Okay, the Patreon app for your smartphone is absolutely the best way to stay up to date with new episodes of The Bob Seska Show. Every time there's a new podcast, you're going to get an automatic alert on your phone. Notifications for the free shows on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, plus notifications for the Friday after party and the Shadow Docket shows, too. Oh my God, I do a lot of shows every week. But the only way to keep up to date with all of them is to get the Patreon app. You can listen at home or in the car with just a couple of swipes. Plus, you can join our community of listeners in the comments under each episode. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month at bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Then download the Patreon app from the App Store on your phone and you're all set. Again, that's bobseskashow.com and we thank you. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bob Seska. You know, just one last thing I I remember from that uh, summer of 2013 is that I don't recall any other news stories from that summer (laughs) because I was so up to my eyeballs in the Snowden story that I don't remember anything else that happened that summer. Uh, There must have been something else happening. (laughs) Yeah, well, of course, there are many other news stories, I'm sure, but I don't remember covering any of them or thinking about them. I was so obsessed. I wonder if it was even healthy because I I look back and I wrote so much about that. I I wrote about that story nonstop into early 2014. Well, you know, it's all a learning learning experience. I, I think I probably focused a little bit too much on it too you know yeah it was really but it's hard not to i mean it's all over the news every day right and people are getting you know extremely incensed about it online Mm. you know twitter was like just exploding with that information you know oh yeah it's hard to get you couldn't get away from it so Mm -hmm. you know we did participate and help to you know make it blow up i guess yeah but but I think the media did much more than we did, you know. I mean, oh, sure. obviously, they have a much bigger bigger influence on the public discourse. Well, one of the things I noticed that summer, and, and this expands to other issues as well, is it became clear to me at that point, and maybe it should have been obvious to me far earlier in my coverage <clears throat> of politics, but I realized that people in the news media, and especially uh, lawmakers on the Hill, very often don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. staggering sometimes to hear them kind of interpret these articles that we knew from top to bottom as far as every bit of information that was being reported and then hearing it discussed, whether it was in congressional hearings or whether it was on the Sunday shows or on cable news, people trying to interpret what they read or trying to just relate the news about those things yeah. and getting it completely wrong and not understanding oh, yeah. the nuance of it or the details and just tearing my hair out watching that. It was, it was like a funhouse mirror version of reality. You know? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, for me, I mean, it was a big a big thing of just watching the whole media take Glenn Greenwald's side. Now, everybody yeah. did. Yeah. Every, it, was, it was universal, you know. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you and I and, and the people who are like us were so far out of the mainstream at that point because mm-hmm. there was nobody else doing it. <laughs> I noticed a lot of the tech bloggers, some of the tech journalists were seeing the same things that we were seeing. And right. these are people who knew exactly, and much like you. I mean, you have far greater expertise when it comes to all things IT and uh, mm-hmm. programming and everything like that. And everyone who also possessed that kind of expertise 
we're recognizing the same gigantic gaps in the story yeah, you that could, we were. You could smell something bad about the whole story. You know, I yeah, mean, just yeah. the just the way the the tech was being slanted and misrepresented. It just didn't it didn't fit right. Yeah, yeah. So while we record this, Charles John Durham is testifying <clears throat> in the House. I don't know if you've seen any of the clips so far oh, on Twitter. But- I haven't seen it. I've I've seen uh, some quotes. You know, where he basically is trying to say that his report is. It's actually very damning, you know, if you accept that it isn't, you have to just kind of assume (laughs) that uh, some of the stuff that doesn't have any proof to it is is actually true. Well, (laughs) I I know Adam Schiff is doing an amazing job challenging not only what John Durham's assertions are, but also emphasizing and reminding people that, yeah, the Russians really did do all these things. And they really mm-hmm. did want Donald Trump to win. And they really did affect the election in some way that will continue. To, I mean, the degree to which will continue to be a mystery. But there's no doubt that they affected it, that they, they convinced yeah. people to vote for Donald Trump when we know that they shouldn't have. But right. I get that the Republicans want to flush the Russian attacks down the memory hole, Charles. But publications of record seem to be helping them on that front, too. We're seeing how effective the right wing's... Uh working the refs is you know because what they do is they they bully and and harass the news media with constant repetition of whatever talking point they want to get out there and and one of the big one of the major talking points is that the whole russian influence over the election was a hoax yeah that's that's one of the big points coming from the right over and over and over and over and they just state it like it's a fact Mm mm-hmm and I think that has actually sunk into some of the mainstream media coverage at this point. Yeah. Where they, they treat it as if it's a valid point of view. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And it feels very similar to the way it felt for us covering Snowden 10 years ago. To, not to mm-hmm. get back onto that subject again, but it feels as though we're all looking at the same set of facts And there's a faction of the coverage and, of course, the entire Republican apparatus saying, oh, yeah, none of that happened. (laughs) Everything that you saw Russia doing, you know, the meetings with Paul Manafort and Konstantin Kalimnik and the fact that uh, Manafort gave Kalimnik information, uh, (laughs) private information, and Kalimnik was associated with Russian intelligence and Right. All of the different meetings and the meeting at Trump Tower with Don Jr. and those Russian operatives, all these things that we're being told, ah, it's nothing. It's yeah. all a myth. It's all a None of it happened. It never happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's not original to say it anymore, but, uh, you know, one of the main goals of, of the Republican Party and the right at this point is to make it impossible to know what is true and what is real. Yeah. You know, that's that's part <clears throat> they're not actually trying to convince people that this stuff never happened. Mm-hmm. They're just putting it out there. Yeah. Because if you flood the zone with shit, eventually nobody knows what's true and what's real. That's right. And and you know, that's that's a fascist goal and it's and it's been a fascist technique throughout history. Yeah, it has. And in fact, um I'm glad you brought that up as far as flooding the zone with shit. Because uh, we turn now to Elon Musk. Uh, do you I believe- was about to say you mean Elon Musk, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I absolutely. I can see that one coming. <laughs> so do you believe Elon Musk is being influenced by Russia and the Saudis? I mean, what the things that he's doing with Twitter right now, they mm-hmm. all seem to be leading in the same direction. And that is 
a repeat of uh, another disinformation campaign similar to 2016, but centered now around Twitter as the primary platform. This is happening, right? I'm not yeah. imagining this. No, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of torn between there are two competing uh, views of what Elon Musk is doing. One is that he's just an idiot. Yeah. And has no idea what he's doing and has way too much money and, you know, is above it all and just is a fool and is just ruining Twitter just because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Or oh, the yeah. other, the other view, which I kind of tend to believe a little bit more is that this is exactly what he intended to do and that his, his funders, which include the Saudis and other rich tech libertarian types, mm -hmm. they, in fact, there were there were some leaked uh, chat logs that showed that they were talking about doing exactly this months before the takeover. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, with with what's his name, Calcanis, and some of those other clowns who are around him right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I I kind of tend to think that those people would not have given him billions of dollars in funding if they didn't expect him. To and want him to do exactly what he's doing right now. I think that he's following through on a plan. I think that's more likely than he's just an idiot. Yeah, it seems like he would have to be a special kind of moron in order to mm -hmm. invest that amount of money, overpay for a platform that has done nothing but lose value since he took over. Oh, and, huge amounts of value. Yeah. If it's a... I mean, it's down like 50% or more at this point. So he's, uh, you know, definitely he's running it into the ground. But I really think you know, I, I just can't see all those people giving him all that money and then watching him do this and not even say anything about it. It's, it's just it's bizarre to me that it would be that way unless they wanted it that way. Yeah, maybe there's more value, Charles in terms of having Elon in control of Twitter from a disinformation point of view, from a yeah. platforming point of view, rather than necessarily a profit point of view. I, I mean, well, it seems weird to say that when you're talking about super wealthy people, because they're mm -hmm. obviously motivated by uh, capitalism and turning a profit. But mm -hmm. there are other advantages to them uh, with making Twitter into this, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the new version of 8kun or something like that, like the, mm -hmm. the, the new disinformation platform where you have normals on the platform. Like 8chan, 8kun, those platforms were entirely occupied by the worst people in the world. Twitter right. is now, you got mainstream people, you got celebrities, you got politicians, you got world leaders, and mm -hmm. everyone's there ripe for the picking. And it seems like, in the absence of making a profit, that this is the other upside. This is an alternative upside for them, which is right. infecting the discourse with more of that disinformation. It's like reopening the gigantic wounds of 2016. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's also, I think, uh, part of the part of the whole thing is that Twitter had become a, a really good platform for activism, for organizing. You know, yeah. I mean, there yeah. were <clears throat> there were many groups left-wing groups that use Twitter to organize on protests and, mm -hmm. and other kinds of events. And, you know, it was actually very effective at that for a yeah. time. And, and, you know, another reason why these tech libertarian types and the Saudis and other, you know, similar uh, uh, types of people 
would want Elon Musk to wreck Twitter would be to stop that, to take yeah. that voice away, to take that tool for activism away from, you know, the people that they didn't want to have it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just noticed this story today, too, and we'd be making a mistake if we didn't bring this up in the context of Elon Musk. He was just announcing today that cis and cisgender oh, yeah. will, will now be <laughs> is like now banned language. It's, I saw that. He he considers them slurs. Slurs, yes. That's exactly that's what he was saying. Slurs. Mr. Free Speech. Yeah. <laughs> he believes that these oh, two very common uh, uh, ordinary words are now slurs. That's amazing. And this is right after he had previously said that, uh, you know, using words like or other offensive terms for for lgbtq people yeah was was allowed it was no big deal it was you know sure people would get upset but you know it's perfectly legal yeah and then here he is saying cis and cisgender are are slurs and they're not going to be allowed he's going to suspend people who do it (laughs) you know the guy is just he's not even trying to be consistent yeah, the other thing I think we lose sight of, too, in the overall, like, determining what Elon Musk's motivations are with all of this, and maybe, obviously, by extension, his uh, business partners in this, mm-hmm. is that when he first took over, I was like, okay, well, the board of directors is never going to stand for his fuckery. They're never going to allow him to do the, some of the things he... And then suddenly, oh, there's no more board. He's taking the company private. That, to <laughs> me, was a, that was a gigantic red flag. That yeah. proved to me that the finances of this deal were entirely irrelevant, that this was something, this is like Elon Musk buying his own jungle gym or, or playpen or exactly. sandbox. Or something. This is where Elon Musk wanted this thing so he could play with it and mess with people's heads. And yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, one of the first things he did was to eradicate the trust and safety department. That's right. You know, yeah. you just make it completely gone. Like you, there's no point in even reporting anything on Twitter anymore. Nobody will do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Well, what they will do about it, they'll suspend people for saying things that offend Musk or offend his right wing pals who mm-hmm. are constantly working him. You know, yeah. if, you, if you look at his replies, it's just full of these right wing clowns just trying to get his attention and curry favor and, you know, get him to act on their weird opinions and, you know, ban the people they want banned. Yeah. Which he has done on many occasions now. One of the things I think we both occasionally wrote about back in the day was Jack Dorsey's Twitter and how they weren't really, uh, they were dropping the ball quite a bit when it came to violations of terms of service, uh, hate right. speech and uh, doxing people and so on. They, they, it took a lot for them to actually ban bad actors on Twitter. Yes. Do you find yourself, though, looking back now at pre-Elon Twitter and going, well, that was pretty good? <laughs> I do. By, by comparison. By comparison, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was always a problem. Man. I, yeah. And you know, I had kind of tracked Jack Dorsey for a while and watched who he followed. Yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't tweet a lot. So you didn't really know what his personal opinions were very much, mm-hmm. but you could see he's following people like Mike Cernovich. Yeah. You know, the rape advocate, you wow. know, and, and other people like that. And I think he, he had meetings with Ali Alexander. Oh God. And you know, he's, he was definitely, aligned with that stuff even though he didn't make it obvious mm-hmm. but now 
now he's making it really obvious, <laughs> you know, by supporting RFK Jr. and yeah, all this craziness that he's doing now. I, you know, <laughs> is uh, Blue Sky going to be the replacement for Twitter? Is that going to be the platform that people land Boy, on? Who knows? Yeah, I really don't know. I'm I'm kind of on Mastodon, and I got into Blue Sky a few weeks ago. Yeah, and um, you know. It's hard to tell now, it's, isn't it? It is hard to tell. Yeah. I do like that Jack Dorsey is not actually involved in running Blue Sky. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. I, I didn't. I thought he was like day to day, no. like he was with no, Twitter. No, no, he's not. Uh, huh. He is on the board, mm -hmm. so you know. I guess he would still have a voice if he wanted to, but uh, yeah, but yeah. he's not. He's not actually running it. It's uh, it's run by other people, and they seem to be at this point. They seem to have their heads on pretty straight about the moderation issue, and they understand that it's important to get it right. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's it's really a it's a complicated thing. I I do understand that moderation at scale is is difficult, but on the other hand, I also think that one of the reasons why it's difficult is because tech companies insist on trying to find tech solutions mm -hmm. for moderation, and I don't I don't think there really is one. I think what has to happen is you have to have humans involved who can understand context and, you know, tell the difference between uh, sarcasm and <laughs> real intention of harm. You know, these are things that you, a tech solution will never be able to fix. Yeah. And it, I don't know if you saw this news uh, come down. I think it was uh, maybe earlier this week. doesn't matter. Uh, that Zuckerberg is going to be jumping into this arena with his own yeah. Twitter copycat called Threads. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a very similar thing to Twitter. You're going to be able to like and retweet people. It's, mm -hmm. it's like everyone's jumping in. It's like I'm seeing it, though, as ultimately, even though I hate Zuckerberg and Meta, I see it as a positive thing because it's whenever you see a feeding frenzy, that shows that the the guy at the top of the list, in this case, Twitter, uh, is damaged and injured, right. wounded, so to speak. Right, right. Well, both Instagram, too, is, is coming out with their own uh, kind of Twitter clone. You know, it's it's really getting around. <laughs> oh, know, uh, is but, Instagram coming out with a, a Twitter clone? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, they're having their own little thing, too. Wow, um, okay. So, you know, there's a lot of that stuff going around that everybody's trying to, you know, take over because they can see Twitter yeah. failing, yeah. you know, and obviously it's not going to fail right away. They had 200 million users. Mm -hmm. It takes time for a ship like that to sink. <laughs> yeah. You know. And I think the one thing that's lacking in the new uh, platforms that are taking on Twitter is conflict. As much as we hate the right wing trolls and seeing Ted Cruz pop up in our feeds and so on, mm -hmm. that that's kind of what makes Twitter what it is. And if you create this bubble atmosphere where it's nothing but liberals or on the other end of the spectrum, places like Troth Central or wherever Trump's stupid thing is. When it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. When it's, just, when it's just those guys, there's no conflict. And so as a consequence of that, it never really takes off. People gather yeah. around, you know, whenever there's fights at a bar, people gather around the fight and that becomes the center of attention. And so uh, with these Twitter copycats, I, I think that that is the element that's missing. And the first mm -hmm. platform that integrates 
uh, from the perspective of all the different political factions and celebrity pop culture factions and so on, once everyone is gathered, that's when Twitter ultimately dies and this whatever other platform takes over, don't you think? Mm-hmm. I, you know, there are some things that I really do like about Blue Sky. I mean, they have some really good ideas. Uh, one yeah. of the one of the great ideas is this custom algorithm thing, where you can basically design your own feed. You know, where oh. you're not at the you're not at the mercy of some, you know, company's idea of what you should see, but you can choose to to find different kinds of of content. Uh huh. Right. You know, depending on what you're interested in. And to me, that's that's pretty cool because it it gives the power back to the people who are actually using the service. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the meantime, know, and, oh, I'm sorry, God. And I, th- I also one of the other things that is good about the uh, Facebook entry into this into this space is that they're going to be using the Activity Pub protocol, which means that they will be uh, basically interoperable with other types of decentralized social networks like Mastodon. Interesting. So that's kind of interesting. And it yeah. means that they'll be able to, you know, people will be able to uh, see people on the Facebook social media if they're using Mastodon and vice versa. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's that's actually kind of exciting because it's a new way of, of, of using social media. And it's not... You're not at the mercy of some company with their tech bros and their profit motives. You know, there, there's yeah. room for other types of, of of interesting technology to develop. Where do you land on the issue of AI, Charles? Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. I think it can be useful. <laughs> Pretty much everyone agrees with you on that, yeah. I think there's just way too much hype at the moment. Mm. Um you know, one of the things that people told me it was really going to be good for was uh, helping programmers to code because you can just say, uh, show me how to write a linked list in PHP, for instance, yeah. and it will and it'll come back with a whole screen full of code for you. <clears throat> but I have recently ran a bunch of tests on it. And one of the things I asked, for example, was uh, how would I use the Mastodon API to... Uh, to edit a post, okay? Mm-hmm. And it it gave me an answer. So I went, I took that code, plugged it into a, a test program I was writing. Didn't work. <laughs> it was completely fake. They had given me wow. API endpoints that didn't <laughs> even exist. It made up fake endpoints <laughs> where oh, you could not even, if you, and, and so you, I went back and I had it regenerate the response. That was wrong, too. <laughs> Basically, I could not get it to give me a good response. So maybe there are ways, you know, there are people who are calling themselves prompt engineers now because what they do is they come up with ways to prompt the AI right. in ways that will get them good answers. Maybe there are ways to do that for code, but I'm as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to be asking chat GPT to give me code anymore. <laughs> But you think it's going to improve enough that it'll actually be usable, though? Like, eventually, ChatGPT will come up with some sort of solution that will improve uh, the AI's ability to be able to code functional things. And uh, I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, it's yeah. still in the early stages, I guess. But, yeah. uh, you know, I kind of think that 
it's never going to be any one, one of the big problems is that it was trained on the internet yeah. and the internet right now if you haven't noticed well, i'm sure you have is just full of crap right you know? there's there's spam everywhere there's fake misinformation all kinds of stuff that that this these large language modules are trained with this stuff mm -hmm. you know huge amounts of it they can't avoid it it's impossible to avoid so one thing one of the results of that is that they become really good at spewing bullshit <laughs> you know yeah they were trained with bullshit. Mm -hmm. So they become, they're really good at bullshitting and they'll do the same thing. They'll make up <laughs> citations for technical articles that don't exist. You know, there's that case yeah. of the lawyer who used, who cited cases because he got them through AI and they didn't exist. And now he's in big trouble because he, he, he actually filed documents based on these cases that don't exist because oh, he God. used AI to get it, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> and, and again, this is all, you know, it's the prevalence of bullshit in modern society. All right, we're gonna pause for one more break, back with more Charles Johnson right after these words. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Do you think that from a political point of view that legislatively there will be guardrails established for AI? Do you think that, well, I, I guess we'll put it this way. Is it even necessary? Is, is that something that should be done? And if, if so, will it actually happen? Hmm. I think it probably should be done, but yeah. I don't know if I trust our current politicians to do it because they just seem kind of ignorant about all of this stuff. And, <laughs> yes. And, See uh, yeah. the coverage of Snowden, for example. Yeah, you exactly. Before. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think it will need to be regulated because, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of issues around it, yeah. around the yeah. way these these models work. There's copyright issues, huge copyright issues. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And we're seeing you know, that with artwork, with AI artwork, where right. the AI is picking existing artwork and adapting it. Uh, changing it, but see, mm -hmm. to me, that's basically digital plagiarism, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I don't know, I, I'm not sure that it's possible to regulate that kind of thing. You yeah, know? But yeah. one thing that these, the companies who are promoting this stuff are trying to get it out there as rapidly as possible so that they can, they can establish a fait accompli situation uh -huh. where it's already done, and it's already out there, it's too late to regulate it. Yeah, that's yeah. what's going on right now, I think. And that's one reason why we're seeing it being pushed so hard into all avenues of society. Yeah, yeah. 
The only thing I could see that would maybe slow this process down a little bit so that uh, some regulatory things might slip into place is the fact that we, we may be in the middle of like the AI equivalent of the dot-com boom where mm -hmm. everyone's getting in on it because it's attractive and fun and new and you can do lots of things with it, but that may bottom out uh, at a certain yeah. point of time in the not too distant future. Do you see that as a possibility also? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it could no. be like the internet bubble. You know, yeah, it exactly. It suddenly gets popped <laughs> right, <laughs> or, right. like, or like crypto, cryptocurrency. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good <clears throat> example. So um, before I let you go, Charles, for the first time, it feels like Donald Trump has lost the initiative. I I'm kind of sensing some cracks in the facade, especially after that disastrous Brett Baer interview. That, yeah. may that maybe events are finally steamrolling him instead of the other way around. Do you see that happening at all? Um, I hope so. <laughs> you know, but, but I've seen it before, you yeah, know, where yeah. it seemed like things were getting, you know, getting better and people were starting to see through this bullshit. But, uh, you yeah. know, the problem is, you know, if he if he ends up being the the nominee, which is almost certainly going to happen, let's face it. Yeah. You know, I think that all of these people who are now voicing kind of tentative criticisms will suddenly line up behind him again, just like they did in 2016. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we're going to see the same kind of same kind of thing happen. I hope not. I hope something happens before that to change things so that he yeah. doesn't get in that position. Because man. It, how weird would it be to have a, a president <laughs> who's mm -hmm. under indictment for massive crimes, including violations of the Espionage Act? Oh, yeah. But if he was president, he wouldn't be under indictment anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's the great irony. The thing I, I mentioned this on the Stephanie Miller show this morning, and I think it bears repeating, that ultimately, and this kind of speaks to the Merrick Garland reporting in the Washington Post yesterday, ultimately irrespective of what DOJ is doing or not doing, it's up to the rest of us as to whether or not Donald Trump sees the inside of a prison cell or any sort of punishment for his crimes, at least at the federal level. Because mm -hmm. if we don't bring the votes and the energy to reelect Joe Biden, then Donald Trump or a Donald Trump copycat like Ron DeSantis will win in 2024, and that'll be the end of any federal uh, criminal case in Donald Trump's uh, arena. So it, mm -hmm. it really comes down to the vote more so than DOJ or what Garland yeah. may or may not be doing, right? Oh, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah. You know, and and you know, I I'm I've always been one of those guys who kind of hates it when people say this this election is going to be the most important oh. of your life and <laughs> it's every election now but now it really is you yeah. know i mean we're we're seeing the republican party turn into an outright fascist party yeah you know they're trying to put in place the mechanisms to create a permanent right-wing government mm -hmm. exactly you can you can see it they're really doing it right out in the open so yeah. you know yeah. i'm this time around i think it's really true that this is this is really the big one. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's another area where I feel vindicated as far as the coverage I've done with regard to people like Alex Jones. Because I mm -hmm. feel as though at the time when I was talking about Alex Jones and Dan Badandi and all these weirdos, uh, conspiracy theorists and so on, I was like, why are you, people write to me and say, well, why are you giving them air? Why are you talking about them? Who are these people even? 
It's like, mm-hmm. well, they're starting to merge with the Republican Party if you're looking closely enough. And here we are, fast forward a few years later. And oh my God, yes, the Republican Party is almost indistinguishable now from some of the crap that you hear on Fox News Channel. In fact, RFK Jr., who's a Democrat, is kind of reflecting some of what Alex Jones has said over the years regarding vaccines and the government yeah. and the pharmaceutical companies and so on. Yeah, you know, that talking point that, you know, you shouldn't give them air because you're yeah. only going to help them. To right. me, that drives me that drives me insane. Me because- too. Especially with a guy like Alex Jones, who has millions of listeners, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, he's not getting any more air because I cover him. Yeah. He's already got all the air he needs. Right. It's not, you know, what, what, what really needs to happen is that more people need to criticize and stand up and say, this is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of guys like that, and I'll definitely let you go after this, Charles. Uh, I heard through the gra- I heard through the grapevine that Chuck C. Johnson is now masquerading as a liberal. Now I don't know if you yeah. got the word on well, that. He, he is. I've been I've been watching him. He's he's on Twitter again, of course. And you know, he is definitely he's pretending to be a liberal. He says he voted for Joe Biden. And he's uh, he's opposed to Trump now and all this oh, kind of God. stuff. And it's but, all bullshit, you know, right? It's all it's yeah. it's a grift. Yeah, of course. He's, it's what he does. You know, he's always been a grifter and a liar. And you know, he's he now thinks that apparently, you know, it's better for him to be a liberal. I feel but, as though our political discourse, Charles, has been taken over by a lot of these guys who have no personal stake whatsoever mm-hmm. in the issues or positive change or values or anything like that. It's all about, oh, this is an area where I can get attention on social media. Why don't yeah. I start playing in this world, in the world of political discourse on Twitter? And that becomes its own reward it becomes its own mission it has nothing to do with changing anything it just has everything to do with look at me look at me look at me and right it's self-interest and greed pretty much exactly right and it's and it's damaging it's that's what's causing all kinds of harm right now because when you have no personal stake in anything and you may not even be using your actual name (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. one of those things that well, they can say a lot of shit that then gets circulated and drags everyone down with it. It's just uh, horrendous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, my friend, it was great talking to you again. Where can people find you on social media? Obviously, littlegreenfootballs.com, but also... Uh, right. Yeah. I'm still green underscore footballs on Twitter and also go. on Mastodon Social. And if you get into Blue Sky, I'm the same name there. So, <laughs> so many social media, so many yeah. social media platforms now. It's a little too many. I think, I think so. <laughs> yeah, half my day gonna, is copying and pasting. Yeah, it's going to be boiled down to only one or two. And That's right. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you can develop like an app or something like that, where you can just post to all the platforms at the same time, I know you I know would what? be signing up for it. I am actually doing that. Oh, hey. All right. That's great. That's good news. I'm glad to hear that. I know a lot of other people who'll be interested in that, too. Yeah. It's uh, it's getting pretty close to done. I have it cross posting between Mastodon and Twitter. Or I did before before they shut down our Twitter app, so we can't use the API anymore. That's right. (laughs) Goddamn Elon. But thank you again. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah, take care, Bob. You bet. Bye-bye. Gotta find a way to escape Cause I can barely breathe I'm waiting for the feeling to fade But it won't release me There's no escape 